I've just come back from a week or so's teaching in Serbia. I teach out there once a year in the Bible school uh, that's run by Oak or started by Oak Hall, the holiday people. And I teach the book of Numbers. And I have sort of 15 lectures or so in the book of Numbers every year. Um, and people wonder why. But there it is. I enjoy it. It's great. And while I'm out there, I, I sort of get invited to preach here, there, and everywhere. And the Sunday before, last Sunday, I was preaching in the Baptist church in Novisad. And they send you their greetings. And there was a man who came up to me afterwards and said that he knew Burlington. So there you go. You're on the map. He, I think he was only here for a few weeks. He was born in Ipswich and then went quite quickly after that. But I think his family were here. The Daniels family, does that ring a bell? Yeah? Are, are there any Daniels family here this morning? No. Um, but anyhow, you know, he, he passed on his greetings to you as well. Now, we, we all have a context in which we live. We all have a, a different background to our lives. We all face different situations. And, and I guess the, the circumstances that you've been grappling with this week uh, and haven't been the identical ones I've been grappling with this week. We have different hopes, we have different dreams, and all these things throw light on who we are this morning, because we've come to church as individual people. Now, before sort of going back to Luke 7 and verses 11 to 17 and looking at that remarkable story, I, I want just to remind you of what was happening around this story, because I think it it throws a little bit of light onto it. Luke has just recorded the Sermon on the Plain. There are similarities, as you know, with the Sermon on the Mount that, uh, that Matthew tells us about. Uh, did Jesus preach the same sermon twice? Um, can I just assure you that this is not the second time I've preached this one this morning? This is the first time. Uh, depending how it goes, it might get preached again. Don't tell people at White House that. And then after the Sermon on the Plain, there's this remarkable story of the, the healing of the centurion's servant. He was desperately sick. And the Jews who knew this man came to Jesus and added their warm and urgent request that Jesus do something about it because this centurion respects the Jewish people. Well, that's, a, you know, that's a big plus. He respects the Jewish people and had contributed towards the finances of their new synagogue. So Jesus goes on his way to heal this, uh, this sick servant. But then the centurion sends some, some of his friends with a message to Jesus, you know, don't come any further. Please, I, I don't deserve you to come under my roof. You know, I'm just a, a Roman soldier. I, I'm not worthy that you come. All you can do is just say the word. Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, as you know, was absolutely amazed. He was amazed at the incredible depth and quality to this man's faith. And in those moments, he was healed. And then there's the raising of the widow's son. And then uh, there are questions after that um, from John the Baptist. John was unable to come and visit Jesus and ask himself because he was in custody under Herod, and sadly he was going to end his life there in a most violent way. And the question he, he asked was this, 
Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the chosen one? Or should we look for somebody else? And the answer that Jesus gives to, to John's friends are, uh, you know, just look at the miracles that are happening. Just listen to the preaching that's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. Go back to John and tell him. And then he sends a word of encouragement uh, uh, to John and about John. And wedged in between the centurion servant being uh, raised from his sickbed and these questions from an unsure John the Baptist, we have the raising of the widow's son. And what I want to do is, uh, is just run through the passage and let's have a look at the details and then let's See what we can glean from the, from the details concerning us today. In verse 11, soon afterwards, um, this is linked with the, the story that went before. Presumably, there was a very short gap between the healing of the centurion servant and this particular story. And he goes to Nain. Now, Nain is somewhere southeast of uh, Nazareth, but no one's quite sure. At this point, uh, I always ask, you know, has anyone been to Nain? Because if you've been to Nain, then you'll tell me you know exactly where it is. Although no one is supposed to know for sure where it is. But no one's been to Nain. There you go. Put that on your list of places to visit if you can find it. Jesus, as he approaches Nain, is not alone. He has his disciples with him. They follow him. And uh, there's a large crowd as well. And then in verse 12, as they approach the gates of this town... They are met by another group of people who are going in the opposite direction. They are not heading for the town, they're heading for the town cemetery. And what follows um, sort of fits in with what we know about sort of ancient burials. There's the use of a stretcher for the coffin or the bier. Uh, there's a procession of bearers and mourners that follow. And the burial was always outside of the town. It was beyond the town gate. And we discover uh, in verse 12 also the identity of the deceased. He is the only son. And he is the only son of a widow. And large crowds are following her. It's a tragic situation. Because as far as this woman was concerned... The whole of her family had now died. And with no husband and with no son, uh, then there was no means of support. It had all vanished. In verse 13, Jesus gives his whole attention to this woman. He saw her. He had compassion on her. And he spoke to her. His heart goes out to this woman. It was sad enough when children bury their parents. But it's a dreadfully tragic occasion when the opposite happens. When parents bury their children. I was with my mum and dad when my brother was buried. My father said, this ought not to be. It's the wrong way round. 
And Jesus says to this woman, don't cry. Don't cry. If what was to happen didn't happen, then those words would have been out of place because she was doing the right thing to cry. And if Jesus hadn't have done what he was about to do, then those words could have been cruel. In verse 14, every movement is noted. Nothing is missed about what Jesus is doing here. He goes up to the coffin. He touches the coffin. Hey, he shouldn't have done that. That would have made him unclean until he got himself sorted out again. The bearers stand still. They hadn't a clue what was going to happen next. They didn't know what was happening anyhow. This was a different script that they were following this time. And he speaks to the corpse. Young man, I say to you, get up. And in verse 15, we see the power of Jesus' word raises this young man from the dead. Jesus speaks resurrection. And again, we watch every action with glued interest. The young man sits up. He begins to speak. And Jesus hands him back to his mother. And then in verses 16 and 17, we have you know, how the people responded to this. They were filled with awe. I would imagine if I'd have been there, I too would have been filled with awe and it would have been sort of touched with a certain amount of fear as well. Who is this man? What's happening here? And filled with, with this awesome fear that they worship God. And they begin to ask the question, you know, who is this Jesus? And they answer it, a great prophet has appeared among us. And maybe as they, they watch this young man come back to life again, they realize that, that he was someone who did something that Elijah had done centuries beforehand, that Elisha had done centuries beforehand, with young men coming back to life again through the power of God. And in verse 17, the report of the miracle races around the countryside, as you might well expect. So what are we to make of this story today? As, you know, a Baptist, can I suggest three things? Although there are lots more than three. Three we'll do this morning. I think the first one fits in with a little bit what we were looking at earlier in the service. Jesus makes a strong challenge to our whole attitude towards compassion. You know, Jesus wants us to have a look at what compassion is doing in our lives at the moment. Compassion involves timing. It includes an awareness. It includes involvement. It includes a willingness for us to go beyond the ordinary. You know, one of the lovely things that that I find here is that when, when Jesus sees what's happening and he's filled with compassion... Everything else seems to to fade. So you're focused upon him and the boy and the widow. Other people fade into the background when our lives are taken up with compassion. 
I told you I've just come back from, uh, from teaching a week in Serbia. On Thursday, there are no lectures, which is, uh, which is great for the students, and it's great for those of us who teach as well. It meant that we have a sort of a fairly different day, not a day off, but a different day. They call it a practical day in the morning. They, they sort out changing beds and things like that. And then what happened then was that they had a, a group of people from the local Johnny and Friends Uh, that came in from one of the villages to spend lunch and the afternoon with the students. Johnny after Johnny Erickson. You know, Johnny Erickson was the one that had a a tragic diving accident and she broke her neck and and has remained in a wheelchair ever since. And I gather at the moment she's seriously ill as well with one or two other things. But every week... um, the, the students meet up with some of these families. And, and they were there that afternoon, and I just watched what went on, and I was absolutely thrilled to bits. There was one sort of teenage girl. The only response that she could make to life was the sound of clapping or banging. And I watched one of the, uh, uh, from the team of, uh, of leaders there, Uh, leading this girl down a room and she just sort of was walking backwards, clapping her hands. And this girl was actually clapping her hands and following. And and I watched them go down and they went to a table very similar to that. And Mariana laid her head on the table and the girl laid her head on the table as well. So the tops of the head were, were just touching And Mariana picked up a couple of um, uh, whiteboard markers. It was in in the teaching place. And the girl had a couple as well. And there, with their heads touching, with some music going on in the background somewhere, Mariana started beating out uh, the rhythm with these magic markers banging on the table. And this girl did exactly the same. And, And I was watching that. And... Well, maybe I'm soft and sentimental. <laughs> but, but in those moments, I, I suddenly realized what compassion was. It was two hearts coming together. Now, I think Celtic Christianity um, has an expression for this. They, they, they talk about a thin veil where heaven and earth seem to come together very closely and, and, and very near to one another. And as I watched, I realized that what I was actually seeing was not just two people banging on a table. I, I could see this thin veil. And, and for a moment or two, as far as I was concerned, you know, the best sound that you could get on a harp in heaven wouldn't match the banging that was going on on the table. I walked away. Uh, tears streaming down my face because I realized here was compassion. Here was the heart of Jesus beating through Mariana and bringing blessing to this teenager. The story says, Norman, how compassionate are you? What can you do to bring this thin veil into the lives of other people. And secondly, uh, when I read this, it, 
it, it was saying to me, uh, you need to take a fresh look at Jesus. There's no mention of prayer in this story. There's no mention of faith. Now, this Bible study that we do uh, in Asda, it's sort of uh, material comes from the Bible Society. And you read through the passage, and the first question they ask is, what are the shockers and what are the blockers? What are the things that surprise you? And what are the things that make you ask questions, you know, why? And here's a shocker for me as I, I read through this. There's no mention of faith. And we all know that faith is so important. Without faith, you and I cannot please God. The Bible tells us that. We turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. It is through faith that we become new creation. It is through faith that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We talk about the Christian life as a walk of faith. But why doesn't it get a mention in this story? Let me tell you about Brian. Brian was uh, one of my deacons in one of my former churches. And he developed cancer. And he went through a series of treatments. But he just deteriorated. Now, the church got behind him with their prayers. They prayed. We had prayer meetings. There were times when we fasted. There was uh, times when we uh, went with him and laid hands on him. We anointed him. There was one communion service one Sunday evening when I and the deacons, we, we left the rest of the church praying while we took some of the bread and some of the wine and some oil to anoint him to Brian. But he just deteriorated and he died. And I got into trouble. I was told by someone in the church it was because of sin in my life. It was because of a lack of my faith and that the church was in a place of disgrace. The church was out of step with God. Brian, bless his heart, towards the end of his life realized he wasn't going to get better. And there was an incredible change that came over him. He now anticipated heaven. And although one or two people in the church might have misunderstood what was happening, he realized that these days were precious and special because he was nearly there. And the last time I saw him and we prayed, the, uh, I gave the words of the blessing from, from Numbers 6. Um, I, I can see him now reaching forward in his bed in weakness with his arms outstretched saying, Jesus, take me, Jesus. Where is faith? This, this passage encourages me to take a fresh look at Jesus. Faith is important, of course it is. But this passage has been saying to me recently, don't ever imagine, Norman, that you can contain faith and control and dictate to Jesus what he does and what he doesn't do. If you imagine faith to be like a, a treasure, and yes, it is a treasure, and perhaps you, you imagine faith to be like a, a, 
a very real treasure and you put it into a box, then I think what this passage is saying is don't put the lid on the box. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus can act and does act independently of our faith. This young man was dead. In a few minutes, he would have been buried. He couldn't possibly have had faith to believe that Jesus would bring him back from the dead. But here, a divine word of resurrection that springs from a heart of the Savior whose heart is throbbing with compassion. Now, it says a lot of things. But to me, it's saying... Allow room for Jesus to take the initiative and take you by surprise. Now, I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, uh, that faith is unimportant. I'm not advocating laziness. What I am saying is, to me, this story says, don't hem Jesus in. Don't try and imagine that you know what he thinks and what he's going to do. Leave Jesus room in your life to surprise you. Live by faith, but keep the lid open. Now, I could bring you loads of examples from my ministry of just how Jesus has taken me by surprise and taken the church by surprise. And I guess you can from the story of Burlington as well. But I'm saying this story says to me, You know, don't restrict Jesus to what you think he can do and what he can't do. Leave room for him to surprise you. And thirdly, uh, this is looking for a response from us because there's a response at the end of the story. A great prophet has appeared, the people decided. Now, a prophet was someone who spoke for God. Someone who brought the speech of God, the will of God into the lives of ordinary people. Here was a great prophet. Here was the greatest prophet. Listen to what he says. Watch what he does. Allow this Jesus to grow in your life. God has come to help his people. Jesus is the alongside God. And he comes alongside you and me to give us life and perhaps there's a a message here for this morning for anyone who might have slid away from this alongside God perhaps this morning that's true of you I don't know then will you allow him to draw alongside to you again spiritually this morning There was a time when all of us were spiritually like that, like that young man, dead in trespasses and sins. And Jesus comes to you this morning and says, I want you to have new life. Listen to me, and I can speak new life into your life. Now, I did my training many, many years ago at Spurgeon's College. And, uh, uh, you know, he left behind... Uh, not only commentaries and things like that, but he, he left behind just about every sermon that he preached. And uh, I've read some of them. I, I have not read what he had to say about the raising of the widow's son here in Nain. 
But I can well imagine that he would not finish the sermon without taking the congregation back to those words of Jesus, young man, I say to you, arise. Or you can say, young woman, I say to you, arise. And maybe this morning, Jesus is wanting to say that to you, young or old, male or female. Maybe Jesus is wanting to say to you this morning, I want you to arise. I want you to leave the life that you're living at the moment and have a new life with me. I want you to, you know, let go of the kind of person that you are and I want you to allow me to to remake you, to make you into a new person. Is there someone here this morning for whom Jesus is saying, young man or whoever, I say to you, arise. Now, it would be absolutely crazy, wouldn't it, <clears throat> if you were to say, no, thank you, uh, because the, the procession would just carry on a few yards and you'd be buried. Um, this young man listened. I want to say to you this morning, listen. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Listen to him saying to you, Arise. Here is new life.